1: to still watching the television podcast from Vanity Fair that today will be about not just one show, not just several shows, but an entire galaxy of shows that are coming in the near future, so to speak. And I am Katie Rich. I am the awards and audio editor for Vanity Fair. And there's really only one person I could be doing this with. Anthony Bresnikan, fresh from a galaxy far, far away. Thank you so much for joining me.
2: Oh, it's such a pleasure to be here. You know, uh, I just uh... I just wrote, well, I I didn't just write it, but we just published the cover story for the June issue, and it's all about Star Wars, and as you said, this constellation of shows that's emerging on the horizon, and so there's a lot to talk about.
1: Including one very close on the horizon, which is Obi-Wan Kenobi, which premieres on May 27th on Friday on Disney+, Plus. we are recording this. Immediately before that show premieres, even though you wrote this massive cover story about Star Wars, you have not seen it. I don't think you're lying to me that they like that Lucasfilm gave you access. You yeah. really haven't seen it, right?
2: No, they've kept it under wraps. I'll see it Friday at Celebration.
1: Oh yeah! Wow, so, what a Star Wars! Star Wars
2: convention that draws people from all over the world.
1: There's really so much to get into, and I feel really grateful that we're starting where we are because I'm someone who is Star Wars. I know things about Star Wars, but extremely casually. I have that's seen a, a good bit of it, but not all of it. And I, I feel like I always need a new starting point, And this feels like a great
2: point. That's a great place to be. You know, I know a lot about Star Wars. I've written about it for years and years, but I don't know as much as some fans. And uh, I think that's OK because I have questions and there are things I don't know and things I'm curious about. And it's a good way to be a bridge between. The creators, the hardcore fans and the casual people, which is the majority of people, you know, most people have a have a have a a friendly relationship with Star Wars uh, and uh, and yet they don't know everything there is to know about it. And we can tell you what you need to know. And of course, there's much more beyond that. It's funny to be this close to a Star Wars series uh, that's new and not be doing this show with Joanna Robinson, though. So I just have to shout out our former our our former friend, she's not our friend anymore. <laughs> our former colleague and forever friend, Joanna, and, uh, and the founder of here. this
0: show,
1: who founder is here with us, here with us always in spirit. But you know, Anthony, oh. I think our, our um, you know, the spirit of uh, Luke Skywalker, who's been digitized and brought into the cloud and brought back when needed. I think we have a little bit of Joanna uh, that uh, 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 can Force Ghost? She I mean, if <laughs> if there was ever a episode of Still Watching for Force Ghost, Joanna, uh, let's let's hear a bit of our Force Ghost, Joanna, with us today. Oh. I'm Joanna Robinson and I- pew, 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 pew. <laughs> We
2: have a they- Joanna Robinson soundboard. Fortunately, yeah. we are gonna digitize her voice. We are gonna create an AI, yes. and uh, we'll just have the VF robot Joanna that joins us on all these podcasts.
1: Well, unfortunately, she's <laughs> oh, the one she would, is laughing. She's the one who would say smart things, and I'm the one who would go pew, pew pew. So it's kind of unfair. Um, thank you to our producer Dave Gonzalez. Uh, also, current friend of joanna's for uh helping us with that magic trick and joanna, well, well, joanna will ask you your permission later to make sure it's okay that we put that Sink.
2: Don't. <laughs> there it is we've gotten the approval thank you ai joanna
1: well and also joanna is a lot like long 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 time fan of ewan mcgregor and i know she's been talking about obi-wan over on the ringerverse and her new uh, universal podcast but it, i do feel like It is right to have her spirit with us as Ewan McGregor returns to Star Wars, something that I think a lot of people never thought would happen. I think Ewan McGregor never thought would happen. So we're going to get into the full Star Wars universe, but I do think we should start with Obi-Wan, which is premiering the soonest. Um, And I'm glad
2: you gave her podcast on Ringerverse a a shout out, because if we're going to uh, assimilate her into our show, we should at least shout out where she is now over at the Ringer. She just did a great uh, epic podcast about just about the history of Obi Wan. So after you finish listening to us, go go dive into that if you if yes. you need a, more of your Obi Wan fix. So Absolutely. love to you, Joanna. <laughs>
1: um, so let's talk about uh and McGregor. I think to start with, because in your big uh, Star Wars piece, you know he he talked about how he was really hesitant to return to this character for so long, and it was maybe five years ago uh, where he introduced a screening and thought, hey, this character means a lot, and the feeling that I got maybe behind the the um. reading between the lines is that Mm -hmm. the reception of the prequels really hurt him and it took a long time to get over. Was that the vibe you got too?
2: Totally. And I think it also, it it shows just how people change over time. You know, uh, in talking to him, I was reminded of Leonard Nimoy. And of course he played the iconic character of Spock, the Vulcan chief science officer on Star Trek. And He wrote a he wrote an autobiography, right, that was called I Am Not Spock. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) And then years later, he wrote a second autobiography that the title was I Am Spock. And uh, (laughs) and I think, you know, the relationship that people have with their characters, you know, when you have the whole world sees you in one way, uh, the impulse is to be like, no, 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 that's not me. I'm more than that. I'm different from that. Mm -hmm. And what Ewan told me was, you know, he was. He was starring in all these sort of indie, gritty, uh, actorly British dramas. He was like an indie film star. And then he's starring in Star Wars, which is this gigantic intellectual property franchise and, you know, he loves Star Wars. I think he was always upfront about that and playing Obi-Wan Kenobi, picking up the mantle of that character from the He late was not Alec- like
1: Alec Guinness, or as soon as he was done, he was like, yeah. fuck that. Alec <laughs> Guinness was
2: like paying children to not watch Star Wars, you know, or urging them not to. Uh, you know, and also like, oh, really, really, Alec, you got to be like that down yeah, on it. Yeah, he, um, was, he
1: was He was not ready to be ahead of his time in terms of franchise filming.
2: Yeah, but it's sort of like you know, Ewan was sort of like, oh, I'll do this. And then the reaction to the prequels was the the criticism was very harsh. And he told me, you know, that's hard to hear, especially when you have two more to do.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: this is a thing that, uh, you know, Hayden Christensen experienced when he was playing the older version of Anakin Skywalker. Is uh, Star Wars fandom is vast. And I would say most Star Wars fans are respectful and decent people, but it's the loud and disruptive and unkind people who sometimes steal the megaphone and steal yeah. your attention, at least. And so, you know, if anybody's read interviews with Ahmed Best, who, who played the Jar Jar Binks character, you you know, you went into a very dark place and was really hurt by some of the, not just criticism, but but cruel things that people say. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the unfortunate things about these fandoms that are... I'm not just going to single out Star Wars here, but 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 these sort of vast global fandoms is because they include so many people, they include a fair number of uh, of uh, let's say unpleasant people or trolls too. those people. They don't just say, I don't like this or I don't care for that character. or I hope this character doesn't come back or I don't I don't care for this actor or performance isn't so great. They really get personal and they really get mean, frankly, you know, even when you write about Star Wars, you can pick up on this if you if you if you tune into those wavelengths, which is why I kind of tune them out yeah um, because sometimes people are just mean and i think yeah you won't uh, have a
1: twitter handle to plug at the end of this because wisely you were not on twitter i'm not on uh, twitter and, many more of us should make
2: and i know some people are like oh were you driven off it's like no i just kind of didn't want that in my head anymore and i spent you a drove lot of time yourself on. off I, I i i closed up my own shop you know yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh you know i wasn't canceled or anything <laughs> <laughs> i wasn't chased <laughs> off twitter but but i i i it got to a point where i was like you know I don't I just don't know that this is fruitful to hear uh, because you just get you just get the angry people so often. Well, it feels uh, like
1: Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen had had come to their own version of that, right? Yes, they let themselves move on until getting drawn back in like you do.
2: That's just it. And, you know, what's interesting is the prequels were very harshly criticized. And, you know, that affected George Lucas, too. He was like used to everybody loving Star Wars and then he was getting a lot of heat. And, you know, the original Star Wars movies have just as much clunky stuff in them. And uh, uh, they're not perfect films, but they're fun. And what we found now over the years is as kids who grew up with the prequels have come of age and uh, become journalists or become critics or just used their their individual platform as fans on social media. uh, There's been a reevaluation of the prequels. Again, uh, nobody's going to say they're perfect films. But but they do have a special place in people's hearts. And I think that's what Ewan discovered when mm-hmm. he went and hosted, uh, you know, introduced and I think maybe it probably answered a few questions about Revenge of the Sith uh, a, a number of years ago. He saw people camping out and he was like, oh, maybe this thing that I kind of pushed off that I thought didn't work. Maybe maybe it does mean something to people. Mm-hmm. And he, he said as he's gotten older, you know, he, he watched uh, I, I did a standalone story in addition to. uh our main cover story where I broke out a lot of like the detail from these interviews that didn't fit into the, the already Titanic sized. uh, Yeah. We'll we'll talk about a bunch
1: of those, especially as we Uh, get into some of these other shows. One of
2: the things he said was on the volume uh, where they shot Obi-Wan, you know, they put on these giant screens, which are usually reserved for creating landscapes and, and sets. They, they were playing, uh, uh, you know, old footage of obi-wan's greatest hits including him as a young man and alec guinness and this was done for a uh one of those behind the scenes documentaries that i'm sure will come out in a few months but he said it was really strange and really emotional to see his himself as a young man and realize how much he has changed and i think they're bringing all that to the obi-wan series is this is obi-wan in middle age he's not the young uh padawan apprentice with the little uh rat tail the little uh What do you call the little braided thing that would hang down? That's the indicator of a Padawan learner. Yeah. Party in the back, I guess. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But they're, um, you know, they're they're bringing this aspect to Obi-Wan of a guy who's really reevaluating his past. And in Ewan's crazy case, he reevaluated it in a very positive way and thought, yeah, you know what? I'd like to go back to Star Wars. Let's do it.
1: I mean, the thing that's fascinating about what we know about Obi-Wan so far, we know, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, he's on Tatooine. It's obviously him in the age between you and McGregor of 25 years ago and Alec Guinness. Um, and we know that Darth Vader's in it. And Hayden Christensen is in your, in your piece. There's these incredible photos by Annie Leibovitz of him rehearsing uh, backstage with his lightsaber. But we don't really know how or to what extent. And your mm-hmm. story isn't able to reveal much. The trailer doesn't reveal reveal very much. What are you hoping for or expecting in terms of how we revisit both of these characters?
2: Well, one of the things I was able to reveal is, um, you know, and you want to be protective of storylines. I don't think the fans or even the casual fans want to have uh, things told to them in an article that they would rather discover on their yep. own, right? Yep. So, but what I can reveal is that you don't hire Hayden Christensen to play Darth Vader. You need a big guy and the suit. And if you can get him, James Earl Jones to do the voice. Uh, But to play the human being that was lost within Darth Vader, this character who, you know, he's a cosmic space wizard, right? So that's not a lot that's relatable there. It's more entertaining and more fanciful than most of the things we encounter in our lives. But I do think we can all relate to the idea, the notion of a friend or a family member who goes to a dark place And we decide, I just can't run with you anymore, right? Mm -hmm. I don't want to know you anymore. We've all had that Facebook friend that we've had to unlike, (laughs) unfollow. And Darth Vader is kind of that. And Hayden plays the Anakin Skywalker, the human being, the decent person who was lost inside, uh, I think I described Darth Vader as a mechanical sarcophagus, (laughs) you know, that there's, there's this evilness there, there's this anger, there's this rage. But when you see a friend that you used to know that you've lost lost a connection with, you you, oh, you can't help but think of like the person they used to be. And is that person still in there? And that's why you hire Hayden Christensen. So I think it's it's pretty clear we're going to see him without the mask. We're going to see the scarred, burned face at some point. That's my guess. It's yeah. not something I have intimate knowledge of. And your that's hope, my I guess. would
1: assume. Like you want to see those two actors face to face.
2: Yeah. I mean, I would like to see... And literally face to face, like uh, my hope is that at some point there's a fight between them. And we do know, uh, you know, Ewan McGregor described shooting a scene where he comes face to face with Darth Vader and he was really freaked out, like because he was blocking the scene or rehearsing it. And then they put the mask on him and suddenly it's like, oh, it's not an actor coming at me. It's actually Darth Vader. And he said he compared it to a scene in Big Fish where there was a a lion that had to roar behind him and he's like. inability to act because like fight or flight kicked in. <laughs> and so he was like, I was just terrified. And so I, I would like to see a scene where that mask gets destroyed or knocked off. It happened in Star Wars rep, uh, the, the animated series Rebels when Ahsoka Tano, the character who's played in live action by Rosario Dawson. We'll
1: get more to her too, yeah.
2: Yeah, she battles Darth Vader, who was her, she was apprentice to Anakin Skywalker when he was a Jedi. So she's now, you know, a grown woman and she's battling her old friend, her old mentor, who's now an evil tyrant. And, you know, they just kind of slash the helmet. So you see his eye come through his human eye. And I would love for there to be some aspect of Obi-Wan seeing Anakin Skywalker's face with the mask either removed or destroyed the way Luke saw him at the end of Return of the Jedi when he took the mask off and Mm -hmm. and and Darth Vader says, I want to see you with my own eyes. Right. Kind of a beautiful scene. So maybe we'll get that.
1: Um, Yeah, it made me think of that scene at the end of Attack of the Clones, and I have not revisited those movies the way a Mm -hmm. lot of people have. But that fight with them in the lava field, which is as far as I know, like, I don't know if that's the last time we see Obi-Wan, but it's pretty much. So that's Revenge of
2: the Sith, not Attack of the Clones. Oh, I'm
1: sorry. Uh, The the last the third one.
2: Yeah, I'll um, push up my glass. Yeah, 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 I'm sorry. That's what
1: you're here for. Um, <laughs> but it's that you know that scene is kind of silly. Like it, it suffers from a lot of the overdose of CGI that a lot of those prequels do. But the emotion mm-hmm. of that scene is completely vivid, and I remember it well, even having seen it at a time when I knew even less about Star Wars than I do now. And that's the like depth of emotion that it sounds like they feel, and it sounds like you know the way that they talk about the emotions that Showrunner Deborah Chow talks about it that they are trying to bring to this show too.
2: Deborah Chow was one of the most interesting interviews I did because I expected her to say, I fought to include Darth Vader because we really want to see these guys go head to head. You know, we want to mm-hmm. see uh, Godzilla versus King Kong. And instead, she said, no, these two, these two characters love each other. And I'm like, yeah. whoa, that's like not where I thought you were going to go with this. And she used those terms. She's like, they are uh, their lives were entwined. They were very close friends. There's a brotherhood between them. And how could you not still be thinking about this person uh, when you were that close? And it's not that they're it's that love is not necessarily there anymore, but they did once. And that leaves a hole, right? That leaves a vacancy in your in your life, yeah. in your spirit. And I'm like, what a great soulful way to talk about these characters. You know, that's yeah. I think and I pretty think wonderful. That,
1: like, love in Star Wars has often been a kind of abstract concept you know i think mm-hmm. that the relationship between um anakin and padme has its defenders but it's not ever something that felt especially visceral but i think the two of them and maybe it's because these actors had an affection that they built together or because you know maybe obi-wan and darth vader are some of the most uh the deepest characters in star wars lore but i i do think you can feel that depth of emotion with the two of them. and it's really promising that that's what this show wants to dive into
2: i think it's very promising and i'm really looking forward to the show i hope I hope it changes our perspective on things. That's the thing that Star Wars does best when it does it. Perspective
1: on things in Star Wars or outside Star Wars? In
2: Star. Well, in life, hey, it's always good to see something and be changed or moved. But I I mean, just sort of reevaluating our our point of view on uh, what we think we know, because I think that's what science fiction and fantasy does best is it just it just adjusts your point of view enough to. And maybe understand your own feelings or the story that you love or your place in the world just a little bit and get a little extra dimension on it.
1: I'm Claire Fallon. All right. A little bit more on Obi-Wan, because, again, we don't know what this show is about. But watching the trailer, I'm really intrigued by Moses Moses Ingram's role. And Mm. I think, you know, the fact that Star Wars was extremely, extremely white franchise when it started and the shows have made increasingly better, uh, more efforts to include not just women, but people of color in this wide range. And like her role is intriguing and kind of mysterious and scary um, and I just I hope that she is as major a figure in this as these two um, men who we've been talking about.
2: Oh, I think it's pretty clear that she is uh going to be a you know very prominent figure, if not the main villain. maybe mm-hmm. the figure there's always star Wars always likes to give you figures that are sort of pushed and pulled between light and dark, yeah, and good and evil. And I would not be surprised if there's a little bit of that in her, Um, although she is a part of this Inquisitor unit that's hunting Jedi. uh, I think there's always potential for redemption. That's a common theme through Star Wars. And we know we're not getting that with Darth Vader just yet. Yeah. And I don't think you'll get it from Rupert Friends, the High Inquisitor. That guy is fully committed to the dark side. But I would be curious to see.
1: He's a figure we know already, right? From uh, animated series or books or yes, something
2: yes we've seen him in rebels uh he's uh, uh a figure who uh kind of leads the unit he's sort of the tarkamada of these Inquis- inquisitors and uh, you
1: just say that like that's something i know what it is what's that
2: Oh Takamata was the uh was the grand inquisitor of the um a Spanish Inquisition. So uh oh, I don't mean it wasn't
1: a Star Wars thing, that was a history thing that I did. Yeah, know. that was
2: actual history of, of our time. Uh, you know, uh, look, I would love to sound smart, but I know who Takamata is because of Mel Brooks and the uh, history of the <laughs> world part one. The Inquisition. Here look, we go. Brooks, the Inquisition. What Mel a Brooks show. is
1: also an essential part of world history, so uh that's fine.
2: I know you're wishing that we'd go away. <laughs> <laughs> But the inquisitors are here, and they're here to stay. And uh, but I don't know that Riva is necessarily going to be uh, fully committed. Like she's the kind of character that I could see almost. Uh, again, I am projecting here. Please do not listen to this and assume I'm I'm dropping secrets on you. But I wonder if we will discover that her character is a little bit like Tommy Lee Jones's character in The Fugitive. Oh, my you know, God, or, what
1: a dream. We need 800 she's hunting, more of those characters.
2: Where she's hunting him down. She's trying to find Obi-Wan. But then gradually, maybe she realizes, are we one of the baddies? Like, is this right? Mm-hmm. Like,
0: or, or
2: I might be totally wrong. And uh, Moses Ingram is just going to fully commit to evil and um, give yeah. us a very bleak, very nihilistic Jedi hunter. I'm down for either one of those, you know, but you, you know uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, her her background, her identity. I, I think, uh, you know, obviously that's a wonderful thing is to make sure that everybody feels included and represented in these, these shows that are set in other galaxies and other times. Uh, But I, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to just take her as herself, as on on her own merits, as just a really cool Star Wars character, and whoever I, she is I in she, this
1: galaxy, we can't. She's wait a wonderful to find
2: actress, out. and you know we've seen her in uh, uh, in the Queen's Gambit, and she's so charismatic, she's so charming. Uh, I, I love the idea of seeing her a little less charming, a little more intimidating. Mm-hmm. So uh, I mean, no you less bring charismatic up- though.
1: You bring up what I think is the central, like, challenge of this kind of show. Like, you know, with The Mandalorian, you've, you've got some sense of where you are in history, but these characters you introduced can go wherever they want. But Obi-Wan and Darth Vader both, we know where they start and we know where they end. Like, there is a mm-hmm. really fixed endpoint for both of these characters. And it's not like they can't change. And I think with Obi-Wan especially, we're going to see him get to the point of, you know, ready to get back into the fight where we find him in the first Star Wars. But, like, there's not as much growth you can do with them. So I think you have to rely on more characters, right?
2: uh yes exactly like growth and change and what will happen to this person that was the brilliant thing with ahsoka tano when she was introduced to the clone wars animated series george lucas and dave filoni uh you know did that show together and and that's where we first met ahsoka and okay well ahsoka is not in the original trilogy and we don't really know what becomes of her does she die you know, before those events, like if she doesn't die, why wouldn't she be fighting the Empire?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, does
2: she become part of the Empire? Uh, if that's the case, why isn't she fighting the rebels? Like, where is she? And it created this intense uncertainty about her. what becomes of Ahsoka. And also, we know there are no more Jedi, right? Uh, Luke meets Obi-Wan in, in in the original 1977 Star Wars film, and the Jedi are all but extinct, right? And so does that mean Ahsoka is dead? We don't know. Yeah. And gradually we've gotten an answer to that question how she progresses beyond the era of the clone wars and of course we now know we see her portrayed in live action as Rosario Dawson in events that take place after return of the jedi. So Ahsoka has been kind of existing there. So you're you know but she was you know behind the scenes low key working against the empire uh often as a secret agent named Fulcrum. Uh, That's some of the background on her, but I'm pointing this out just by way of agreeing with you that, yes, you need those characters whose fates are not determined, who aren't known. Uh We know that we see the outline and the sketch, and maybe more than the sketch, uh, but but we we have the drawing of Obi-Wan and Darth Vader. We know where they begin. We know when they meet. We know where they end. And I think what a show like this does for those characters that we know and are already w- so well defined is this adds this colors in between those lines. This adds texture and dimension to the silhouette or more than the silhouette than we already know.
1: Yeah. I want to like this is a broader question about this before mm-hmm. maybe we move on to Andor, which is the next one after this. But, you know, you take the Marvel Universe, which is introduce multiverses and in comics have this long long history of uh, something happens and you undo it and it comes back and you know there's not that continuity and Star yeah. Wars from what Kathleen Kennedy told you in your piece like they seem pretty committed to it. it is all one story and that gets more and more complicated the more and more shows like this that you make do you think that's sustainable do you think that is the right way for Star Wars to go
2: uh I don't think it's sustainable for everything. This is just my opinion here, not sure, I'm not sure. speaking for Kathy Kennedy or anything else. But right now, the books that are published, the comics that are published, the TV shows and the movies are all canon. Anything that's made now is canon. Now there are a whole ton of games and comics and books that were written before this sort of modern renaissance for Star Wars, the when Disney bought the Lucasfilm and Uh, began making new shows and stuff and they decanonized a lot of what's called the expanded universe and they made a bunch of people
1: mad right well
2: (laughs) if you're getting mad about that i think you need to change your priorities (laughs) there are other things worth getting mad about essentially you enjoyed those books you enjoyed those comics you enjoyed those cartoons uh but like you know, if you're mad, if you're mad that they're not official anymore, that doesn't mean you can't still enjoy them. And, and you know, Dave Filoni loves to grab little things from that era and put them back into the shows. What that essentially means is that's their way. That's the modern, the contemporary cr- creator's way of saying, don't box us into narratives that were written long ago. Um, we're clearing those. They're not official anymore. You can still read them. You can still buy them. They're still in print in a lot of cases but they're not dictating the current direction of the stories we're telling, you know, that's all that means. And, you know, and they bring them back in fun ways. If you remember in solo, the standalone solo movie, uh, Donald Glover's Lando stays in the Falcon, in the millennium Falcon, while they go off and explore a mine on a mission to, Mm -hmm. what are they gathering? I think they're gathering some fuel rods, right?
1: Not a a clue. (laughs) Yeah.
2: I think they're gathering some fuel and like, um, You know, he stays in there and he's, he's seen like sort of just chilling and dictating a story and he's Mm -hmm. narrating one of his own adventures. And like, that's taken from a novel that was published years ago. So about Lando, there was like a whole series of Lando novels, the, you know, the extended adventures of Lando Calrissian. And like, I love that they bring that in and what they call it is, is the expanded universe, but also legends you know, and one of Dave Filoni's uh, philosophies as he's made the animated shows is there's always a little bit of truth in legends. So we're not, we're not lassoed to that as a narrative structure, as a, as a true history, but we can borrow things from it and we can incorporate those things from quote unquote legends and put them into the official storytelling. So Lando can tell, maybe he's Maybe he's writing his own novel, right? Maybe he's telling a fanciful story about himself sure. that didn't really happen. Or maybe he's, maybe those stories are real and now they're being, uh, you know, woven back in through the movies. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, Leslie Headland, who's the showrunner of the series Acolyte, the Acolyte yeah. that's coming up, yeah. the, you know, uh, Kathy Kennedy told me, yeah, she's reading those expanded universe books and weaving things from them into Acolyte, which again, Those people that you mentioned are mad that their stories that they bought or have on their shelves are no longer official. Well, they might be official again. You just got to give the Mm. contemporary creators a chance to just pick and choose. And frankly, Marvel is doing this, too. You know, they had those Netflix shows. Um, They had Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Sure, Uh, sure. Netflix shows were like Luke Cage and Jessica Jones and Daredevil. They're not part of the canon, but look, they brought uh, Charlie Cox back as uh, Daredevil in the most recent Spider-Man movie. Now that doesn't mean that all of the narr- all of the uh, Daredevil shows, all those episodes are canon. Uh, but it sounds like moving forward, they're going to use him and sort of recanonize his version of the character. So they're going to keep parts of it, and they might cast off other parts. That doesn't mean you can't still watch Daredevil and enjoy it. It's still there. Yeah. It's not being destroyed. It's not like Well, frankly, George Lucas saying there's not going to be the old version of Star Wars. Now there's just the revised version. Which is still Uh, the case,
1: right? Like, can you see the original version of Star Wars these days?
2: I think you can bootleg it a bunch of places. But like, yeah, I don't know that they've ever put out the original. That's so crazy, right? Yeah, well, you know. (laughs) I know know
1: this is a detour, but man.
2: I I can tell you as somebody who wrote a book years ago that I made edits between the 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 hardback and the paperback. <laughs> uh, I did. I'm I mostly fixing little like typos or something, but like uh, the, the proofreaders missed the first time. But they added like one line to it. And I I would proof whenever a friend is reading it, I'm like, oh, you should read the paperback version.
1: I would like, call that <laughs> different from inserting CGI uh, creatures in the background yeah. of uh, Tatooine, but you know. Who am I to say?
2: Francis Coppola is revising a lot of his older movies, and just you know, I can do that a little better. And
1: you know,
2: you don't have to love that, but that is a thing that creative people want to do. to do
1: it. Um, okay, you know. let's let's talk about Andor, which is the next uh, series that will be debuting on Disney Plus uh, sometime this summer, I believe. So late like,
2: summer, I would look for it. Late August, August, yeah. Or at the same expect.
1: time that Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones shows are going to be premiering, that is going to be a boom time. Uh, I guess check back here in a few mm-hmm. months for maybe as much. We'll all be just spending less time stomach. with
2: our loved ones while we watch uh, all the TV we have to
1: watch. Sounds great. Um, so Andor is an interesting case because it's another story with a fixed ending. We saw. Andor in Rogue One. We know that he dies in Rogue One. Spoiler mm-hmm. alert. Um, but it, there does seem to be a little bit more room to play around. And I thought the way that Tony Gilroy, the show I guess he's the showrunner, um, and yes. Diego Luna talked about it in your piece, like it sounds like it might even be a different genre than some of the other Star Wars. Like they say they, they sound really ambitious about how they want this show to go.
2: Yeah, it's it's longer, 12 episodes and a second season of 12 episodes. It's already uh uh in pre-production and are they, so they only doing
1: two seasons like is, is there like a set 24 episode plan
2: well he said gilroy told me that he was lead, this was leading right into um rogue one yeah the second season
1: <laughs> they and do have a hard out on uh when they have there the was backstory. talk
2: there was talk like well maybe this will be five seasons there were like some rumors i think there was someone one of the crew members uh said like oh i think it's going to be three seasons I don't think that that has changed necessarily. I okay. think what may has cha- may have changed is the way they're bundling them. So uh-huh. if you think so about it. 12 episodes
1: is long for a modern TV series. 12
2: episodes is long, yeah. obi Wan's just going to be, I think it's six episodes. And that and, was a,
1: for a miniseries, right? Like there's no one talking about a second season of Obi-Wan. At least no,
2: not No, but you know, look, it's, it, this, <laughs> this picks up 10 years into his exile, which means there's 10 more years of storytelling okay, if they okay. want.
1: That's if they Big want. Little Lies prove that you can make a second season if you want to.
2: But you are kind of running out of runway. Yes. You know, and one of the things Kathy Kennedy told me is we can't keep chipping away at the era that George explored. Like we can explore some of this stuff, but eventually we're going to have to move beyond it or to Mm -hmm. different characters because you do start to just, you know, you keep adding on and adding on until you kind of close yourself in. And they're getting there with they're getting there with Obi-Wan. You know, there isn't isn't a whole lot of room left to explore what he's been up to. But, you you know, that said, you can always find something somewhere. I always think of the Beauty and the Beast Christmas sequel from uh, Disney Animation. And uh, uh, I forget the exact name of it, but it's like, well, how is there a Beauty and the Beast sequel? He turns back into a prince at the end of the movie. And it's like the logic of it is, yes, but she was in that castle for a long time. And during (laughs) that time, Christmas happened. So this That's story true. is the whole story you didn't see that happens within the context bookended by either end of uh, of of Beauty and the Beast. And so, yep. like, OK, you can always parse that a little bit, shave it just a little finer, you know, like the But, so with, but with Andor,
1: bells. with Andor, though, they do have a lot of room to explore.
2: Yes. And they're telling 24 episodes of TV, which in terms of old the old network format is one season. Yeah. Or. Maybe you could get four seasons out of that if you only do six episodes. And it sounds like they just are like, well, why do that? Let's just give you two seasons, 12 episodes each. Um, it's, I think it's really it's one pizza, and it's just a matter of how you're slicing it up yeah. uh, in terms of seasons. And then, so I, think, I don't think that necessarily a lot has changed with Andor, except that they're just going to give it in two parts.
1: So I want to make you an offer and you don't have to take me up on it. But in your piece, you kind of get into some of the details of Andor that they were willing to share and say, if you're a Star Wars fan, some of this may be ringing a bell, like not to spoil anything for anyone. Mm -hmm. Now here in the safety of this podcast, do you want to make some of those connections for me of what seems like it is echoing other things in Star Wars? Because it all went over my head.
2: Okay, what, you're talking about the extra, the bonus story I did with Tony Gilroy? I think so. And-
1: like, he talks about, you know, he says, Our show starts with a very simple, almost film noir situation for a thief. A skeevy kind of guy gets in big trouble, tries to sell something he has to save his ass. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm imagining that's Cassian Andor, how we meet him, because we talk about how he like yes. kind of li- lived his life as a refugee, and the season tracks his decision to fight the Empire. Um, does that feel like it's a reference to something else that exists in Star Wars lore?
2: Well, one thing it does is it it it, it, it echoes and parallels what um, Felicity Jones's character Jin Erso, does in ah. Rogue One. Is okay. essentially the the rebellion is is keeping an eye on and recruiting people who live outside the law. So you've mm-hmm. already shown a propensity to resist authority. Who? What can you do for us? You want to yeah. fight back and make a real mark, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that I think is kind of interesting that that's where they're drawing their talent is okay. from people who are willing to live outside the law. And I think of something like Fritz Lang's movie M, right? Mm-hmm. Which was about the the underworld. I think, is it in, is it in Berlin? Uh, I think so. You know, the, the thieves and the gamblers and the prostitutes and the uh, uh, bootleggers, you know, there's a guy going around killing children. And so the police are cracking down on everybody. Mm -hmm. And so it's the underworld figures who say, well, we got to find this killer ourselves so that we can get back to business. You know, the (laughs) the businesses that don't prey upon children and leave their, their balls bouncing alone in the street while they vanish. Like, so, um, you know, I I don't know that that's an exact parallel, but I do think it's interesting that the rebellion is like fueled by outlaws. Even Mm Han Solo is a, I was he just going to say Han Solo, yeah. He was a smuggler and you know he was not a lot allied with the uh uh the rebels. You know, he was kind of in it for himself. That was what made his character so interesting, but but obviously I, I he always, became then he became a general, right? So like I, I always uh, think
1: of the way that uh, Tracy Jordan on 30 Rock describes Han Solo where it's like you think he doesn't care, but he does. He it's, does. It, yeah, but it never and, gets old.
2: And, and I think that's what they're talking about here with Andor is that this uh-huh. is a guy who He decides, I'm going to, I'm going to look out for myself. You know, the empire is stomping all over people. And look, this is what happens in fascist regimes is you have Mm. people who say, I can't change this, or I tried, it didn't work. Now I'm going to keep my head down and save my own skin.
0: Mm -hmm. And,
2: you know, that, that's a real phenomenon. There are the people who keep their heads down and try to live. There are people who stick their necks off. A lot of times they get their head chopped off. And so- Mm -hmm you know what what is andor's relationship to that he's a nihilist we hear all this stuff about how he doesn't care i think i think tony gilroy says he could give a shit about any of that which <laughs> i thought was like i love when you get a quote like that this just very blunt and not very yeah, yeah, clearly that is not a press release that's not press release language
1: <laughs> that's uh, what journalism is man you get those people to say what they really think say, uh, Yeah, yeah
2: that's what journalism is getting a source yeah. to say a swear <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, but I, you know, it has a lot of speaking parts and it also, I made the comparison. Tony Gilroy did not make this comparison, but as he was describing it to me and as I was listening to the transcript, uh, listening to the interview, reading the transcript, I kept thinking of better call Saul because yeah, that's also I love a, that part of it. That's also a story that like, it has. It focuses on a kind of, you know, guy who's not really following the rules and living outside the law who gets drawn in deeper and deeper. Now, it's not an exact corollary, not the same kind of story. But you also yeah. have these other stories where you have Gus Fring and you have the cartel stories, which kind of are are, are a melody that's playing and interweaving uh, with the, you know, the rhythms of uh, of of Saul's story of Jimmy mm-hmm. slash Saul Goodman's story. And. They have a parallel story in Andor that focuses on the political movement, the leadership of the rebellion, and how mm-hmm. that emerges from the actual le- formerly legitimate political class. You know, yeah. so you've got street level people like Andor hustling, selling, it sounds like he's like stolen something and is selling stolen goods. And then you have somebody like Mon Mothma, mm-hmm. who is also featured in our annie leibovitz photo spread yeah played by genevieve o'reilly what a, who is, what a
1: name and what a look like that is star wars has always been so good at like giving someone a name that makes no sense but you look at them you're like yeah that's a mon mothma
2: mon mothma i always thought there was something motherly about that name right there's a, yeah. maybe it's just the m's you know like mom <laughs> yeah. mon darth dark dark vader yeah. darth Va- dark dark father, father yep, you know like yep. Uh, and she's clad in white. She just looks like your mom on vacation at the beach. <laughs> All she needs it's is a little green boxer. Oh
1: my God.
2: Uh, and, and, and casual fans may remember this character from Return of the Jedi. She's in one scene, uh, played by uh, Carolyn Blackiston back then in the 80s. And she got, does the briefing and says they've rebuilt the Death Star, it's back, it's incomplete. Might be operational, might not, but we have the plans and we got to blow this one up too. And she says, many Bothans died to bring us this information. To this day, nearly 40 years later, we do not know what a Bothan is. There's no, <laughs> there's no illustration of them. They were in a video game, but they were like translucent and they could disappear. So wow. we've not really seen them and uh, we don't really know who they are or how many died. Uh, how many were left, <laughs> you know? What do, is a bothan? Is that a is that a is that a is that just like a planetary distinction, the way like, you know, I'm a Southern Californian, or is that like uh, species? Like what is it? We don't know, but that's the line that made Mon Mothma famous. And do we, what we, how
1: do you account for like I think that line is fantastic too, but I don't know why. Like why does many Bothans die just like roll around in your head
2: like that? Because it like I said earlier, it's the outline of a story without being the actual story. I think it functions mm. in the same way as Alec Guinness telling Mark Hamill, your father and I fought together in the Clone Wars. Now mm-hmm. we have seven, episode, seven seasons of animation that tell us exactly what the Clone Wars are. We saw, it in, uh, we saw the wars begin in Attack of the Clones. We saw the Resolution in Revenge of the Sith. Now we know everything about that. But at the time, it was like, I fought with your father in the Clone Wars? Like, what <laughs> yeah. are the... What is yeah. that? You know, yeah. like it's tantalizing. So the notion of many Bothans died to bring us this information is like, what happened? Like, well, yeah. that sounds ominous, <laughs> you know, like, like, okay, how, how many is many and what's a Bothan and what do happened? Do you
1: think we'll get Bothans? And I know this is just your guess. So like, I, are you hoping that there'll be Bothans or do we want it to stay a mystery? Well, the there heart? wouldn't
2: be Bothans in this story or maybe okay. there are. I mean, well, gotta well, be they got to be somewhere. They've been
1: around forever, right?
2: They could have been around forever. Maybe we'll finally figure that out. But the Bothans, that line comes after Empire Strikes Back. So this is like a Return of the Jedi, not...
1: Yeah, well you know, after Cassian Andor died. Cassian
2: Andor's story ends with um, the very start of 1977 Star Wars. You know, they hand yep. off the file that Cassian helped steal. And that's yep. what Princess Leia stashes in R2-D2 when her ship is overtaken by Darth Vader. So... Yep. You know that's where his story ends, and they're not doing any kind of retcon where no, he survived the, the blast that destroyed that world. Nope. Yeah,
1: nobody it's would like a, that, right?
2: I think it would. I think that would that would uh, eliminate the sacrifice that was made. Like you could bring yeah. Mace Windu back. That's the Jedi played by
0: uh, Jackson. Sam Jackson because he got yeah. thrown
2: out a window, and like, yeah. oh, the idea that he returns or Darth Maul cut in half, but then he lives for a while as a mechanical spider, and then he, you know. He uses prosthetic legs and comes back as a
0: gang. Did
1: that happen?
2: Yeah, that really. Happened. When did that happen? <laughs> what happened in the animation. Is that he? Uh, he ended up with these these sort of like lower limbs that were uh, like spider like or crab like. And oh, then because he
1: shows up in Solo, right? And like that was and then he shows up in Solo, and people were like, "How yeah.
2: is this dude alive? We saw him get like bisected, and that's how he lived. is he was cut off at the waist, and mm-hmm. he now has prosthetic legs." And he used to have like crab, mechanical crab legs. And now, you know, he's got, he's bipedal again. And um, yeah, you know, we know from Star Wars that that's a thing. Luke gets his hand cut off and they yeah. reattach a mechanical one. Darth Vader is mostly, he's, I don't think he has any of his limbs now. He's all mechanical, just sort of the core. His head and torso are human, human ish and um
1: wait i need to bring us back to andor (laughs) uh, yeah let's go back Uh, well so i feel like rogue one has had a really interesting legacy because it was the Mm -hmm. first star wars movie that kind of got off of the skywalker saga i think it had it was a hit but kind of had an odd reception and then maybe solo came out and kind of uh people thought were even more disappointing but i think it's got it's had a lot more defenders over the years are you with the people who are like okay at last justice for rogue one now we can you know Finally appreciate this story.
2: Rogue One was pretty well appreciated in its time. I think its esteem has just grown. Am As I opposed really to this soul. Wrong?
1: I feel like it was controversial. Yeah.
2: Uh, I think you might be reading that one.
1: Okay. All right, fair uh,
2: enough. Pull a marge That's- Gunderson. I'm not sure I agree 100 <laughs> percent I- with your police work on that one. But <laughs> I fair. think it was it was pretty well received. So this is what you might be picking up on. Is there was a lot of controversy about Rogue One before it came out because there were all of these rumors about reshoots.
1: Oh, yes, yes. That, the production was famously messy.
2: And it was famously messy. And I remember writing, like, seeing some of these reports come out. And it was like, they're reshooting 30% of the movie. They're reshooting 50% of the movie. They're reshooting 90% of the movie. <laughs> and it was like, okay, at that point, I started checking in with my sources. And this was, you know, the story report I ended up doing was controversial because there were a lot of uh, our fellow journalists who were out there saying, like, I've heard, like, it's all like completely being reshot. And my reporting showed, well, they're bringing in Tony Gilroy. They are reshooting new scenes. There is a whole month of reshoots planned, partly because it's such a big cast that it was hard to get everybody back at the same time. And Mm -hmm. you don't need everybody back at the same time because they're not all it's not all group shots. Right. Sometimes it's just, you know, it's Felicity Jones and Diego and it's Felicity. And, uh, you know, this character or these two characters together. And so they had a month of reshoots, which is extensive, uh, but they weren't reshooting like 80% of that movie. What they were doing is they restructured it. And what what had originally happened was they went up one tower and got the plans. And then they came down that tower, ran across a beach and went up another tower to transmit them. And they realized Mm -hmm. this is too long. This is a little too complicated. We don't have enough character building. And I had a source that told me there's a lot of reshoots that are talking in cockpits. So it was people like scenes where characters talk about their past or why they're uh-huh. doing this that were, I thought kind of expertly woven in, but they were added on after the fact. And so yeah. there were all of these problems there, but also the notion that it was a massively rewritten or over, like they re- basically did a different version of the entirely different version of the movie. Like that's, partly true but that's also like the rewriting process you know Mm -hmm. and then it came out it was very well received but i do think that notion of it being a troubled production did stick so that might be what you're thinking now solo was one that came out and i feel there was a lot of like ah And you could say that had to do with the release date or the marketing, maybe. Or its own
1: famously troubled production where the directors were fired.
2: Yeah, the directors were uh, let go and uh, Lord and Miller were let go. Ron Howard was brought in to take it over. But also you have an actor, Alden Ehrenreich, who uh, was not especially well known, stepping into one of the most famous roles of all time, played by one of the most famous actors of all time. And I think he did a great job. I, I think he's wonderful. And there are some clunky things in that film, as there are with all Star Wars movies. Uh, but there were a fair number of people who just like didn't feel that that was their Han Solo, and you can see evidence of that in the YouTube videos that people have made with like deep fakes replacing his face with Harrison Ford's like, "Oh, magic. you know, or like you could have cast this other actor who looked more like Harrison Ford. I'm not hung up on that personally. But I know a lot of people were, and that, you know, is something that the producers of these films have to take into account. A very loud group of people saying, oh, I don't don't recast classic roles. Right. I asked um, Kathy.
1: So I was just going to ask if you wanted to talk about asking Kathy Kennedy about this, because uh, you got a lot of attention from your piece.
2: Yeah, I got a, a lot of attention, got a lot, got a lot of cr- attacks, I would say. I hesitate to call it criticism because I think a lot of it was not. um Uh, I don't think we're actually reading what was said. (laughs) Reading comprehension on
1: the internet, not always what it should be. Well,
2: just like one person says the story uh, says they're never going to recast characters again. Well, she didn't say that. What she said was, we're not going to do Luke Skywalker without Mark Hamill's involvement. And they create Luke Skywalker in sort of supporting cameo appearances on Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett using Mark as reference He's on set. He's in costume. He performs it. He helps almost with the direction of it. Like, this is how I would do it. They have a younger mm. actor who looks sort of like him, stand in. They augment the voice in ways that approximates how he sounded when he was a younger guy 37 years they Do they
1: augment his voice for that? I've actually never known how. I think they've, they've rebuilt
2: it in some way. And it's like, they. Wow. I don't, I'm not entirely sure. So I don't want to comment on it. That'd be speculating. Sure. But it's, it's. It's a hybrid. It's a technological achievement, and it's a team effort, and that's how I described it in our story.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: when when I said like this notion that you don't want to recast Luke Skywalker was that something born from Solo? And I even framed it as like, I want. I don't. I don't want to put you on the spot. I don't want you to walk into a landmine here. Also sure. said I don't want to trash Alden Ehrenreich. Yeah. But of course that. You know, it was that a lesson. You learned from Solo that there were people who didn't really want to see the character they already know recast. And that's common with a lot of things. Nobody wants to see uh, Rick from Casablanca played by a different actor than Humphrey Bogart. I didn't think this was so <laughs> controversial. I thought it was interesting that like, now we have the technology to sort of recreate actors for bit parts. You mm-hmm. wouldn't do Solo with a digitized Han Solo no. looking like Harrison Ford. I think that would be prohibitive. Yeah. But you might have Luke Skywalker turn up in The Mandalorian for a few minutes, for nine minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the internet really ran with it. And I, I, I'm not on social, but I picked up on some of this just because it was so noisy. Uh, and a lot of other outlets wrote it up. And, and I think they really overstated what she said. And granted, the whole breadth of our conversation there was not in the main story. It was like a portion of her quote.
1: And now and, people can read the whole breadth of the conversation. You have and then the whole Q and A went Q&A. up and I made sure yeah. that
2: part was verbatim, like the whole framing of the question. You could listen to the audio if you wanted. Uh, her, all of her ums and maybes, you know, were <laughs> woven in there. And I think, you know, interestingly, like that. That I think it kind of chilled people out. Like, oh, okay, she's thinking out loud, and she's talking about, you know, how yeah. they have to get, how they have to weigh the many different reactions. Unfortunately, you know, and this is what I really despise about Twitter is. It amplified the worst, least charitable perspective on what was being commented on. And then people like really let their over they I think they overreacted to it, you know, and uh, I don't mind saying that like it was an overreaction. There were people even theorizing that I set her up and that she wasn't even talking about solo she just said, we've learned various lessons and that I was set. And I'm like, okay, well, that's not what happened. Like that yeah, would be out yeah. of context. And I think the full context of the question, you know, I, I'm bringing my personal feelings into this now, but like, you know, I, it, well, it's not nice to be accused of like misrepresentation, you know, yeah. and it, that's dishonest and not true. And that's a, that's a pretty terrible thing to throw out casually. And I think it, I've proven that that's not the case, but also like, She wasn't throwing him under a bus. She wasn't trashing him. She wasn't blaming the movie on him. But she's um, far
1: far too smart and far too experienced in Hollywood to do something like that.
2: We're we're, we're trying to figure how we're going to present legacy characters, whether we present them, whether we explore them at all, like whether we need to move fully beyond Skywalker. And unfortunately, I don't know how we solve this problem. I think it exists not just in Star Wars, but across every subject is everybody overreacts to everything. Sure. it's fun to overreact i guess isn't it it's fun to get yeah.
1: mad um let's go back to Andor real mm-hmm. quick before we yeah. then i guess breeze through the rest of the star wars slate <laughs> um the thing that intrigued me in your piece and tell me if i'm reading this right that mon Mothma's story is going to be on coruscant like that's yes. where the head of the um not the empire whatever the government that she is part of at that point in the story or the resistance that she's part of and coruscant i remember from one of the prequels as like you know this big star wars city and i don't feel like we saw enough of it uh i feel really intrigued by the idea of revisiting that planet specifically yeah
2: that's like you know in star wars every planet has like one ecosystem or one mm-hmm. geographic feature it's like the snow planet the yeah, forest yeah. moon uh and coruscant is like a metropolis planet like the whole yeah. planet is a city and it has the upper levels which is sort of like the 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 ruling class the wealthy And the Jedi, you know, the Jedi Temple, the Galactic Senate, and then it has the underclass, literally underclass, like they live in the layers, sort of closer to the core of the planet. And Mon Mothma, you know, that was so that was the subject of the of the George Lucas series, live action Star Wars series, Underworld, that never got off the ground back in the early two thousands, late two late, the late two thousands and early two thousand tens. Uh, was going to be set in those sort of uh, those lower levels of Coruscant, and what what Mon, where Mon Mothma exists is she's still a senator. She's trying to control, you know, all those people who during the Trump era were like, we're trying to change the system from within. I'm you the know, resistance we're find- from
1: within the Trump administration. I'm the
2: resistance within. Like, so she's trying to manage the empire and the emperor from the Galactic Senate, uh, but she is gradually becoming a rebellion leader. Mm -hmm. And what Gilroy said, what I he didn't have to say. And it really surprised me was they don't meet in the first season.
1: Yeah. I was intrigued by that too.
2: That's where I brought, that's when my mind really started to think of better call Saul, because if you think of the character of Mike, right? Like that sort of gritty, hard bitten fixer who is so interwoven with the Saul character in breaking bad. Uh, But in better call Saul, you know they two know each other and they interact a lot in the early seasons, but now in the later seasons, Mike is off kind of doing his own thing, and like they only occasionally cross paths with, with uh, the Saul Goodman character. And I mm-hmm. think Mon Mothman, she's going to be she's going to be I don't know like the have her own storyline like in the Galactic Senate while Cassie and Andor is uh, is 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 building his way up from street uh, street criminal to uh, rebel spy.
1: That's a hard thing to pull off. You know, I think like people can really tune out when stories are parallel in that way and don't intersect enough. I'm interested to see how they meet that challenge.
2: I think you have to make the intersections really interesting, right? Mm -hmm. Is that you can tolerate like, okay, over here, a different thing is happening. But at a certain point, those have to collide and have an impact on each other, you know? Mm -hmm. So you're kind of watching two cars traveling down very long roads and you know, they're going to crash at this intersection. You're just waiting for that crash and watching them build speed. And so there has to be. uh, There has to be the dramatic tension of we know eventually they will meet. So what is it that's going to bring them together?
1: Well, I imagine that's how Obi-Wan will function a lot of ways, too. Like you're waiting for the moment when they come face to face again. But I I would guess they are going to make us wait a little while in that season before that happens.
2: You got to build it up, right?
1: Yeah. Um, okay, let's jump further into the future. I mean, you mentioned The Mandalorian in your story. There's not a ton of detail about it. You know, we don't, there's less to learn because we've been in that world. But anything in particular from Mandalorian that we should anticipate or even how it overlaps with any of this?
2: Well, I think uh, what I can tell you is that when I visited the volume and visited the set, they were shooting Mandalorian volume or part three, mm-hmm. chapter three, season three. And, uh, you know, I saw... The set. Well, I was allowed, I, I can reveal what was on the set. I, I can say there's there's a fight happening, and it's Ooh. inside of. Uh, I can say who's fighting, but I don't think that gives away too much, right? There's got to be sure. a fight. They're solving their. their <laughs> they aren't solving their problems with words. <laughs> that's show has been known to
1: have some fights.
2: Um, but there's a uh, you know it's sort of inside of a cavern that has these sort of tech components built into the walls. So it's some place that's you know has some sort of human or alien yeah uh, when I say human, I mean like look, the wookies yeah. and all of these other creatures they all exist sort of as humans sure. right the sentient beings have 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 uh, you know constructed something inside of this cavern, and so uh that's what you're gonna see there. That doesn't tell you much about Mandalorian season three, except that we know the child and Dinjar and the character played by Pedro Pascal are going to continue their relationship. there's a father son thing happening there, and uh Here's what I think I can tease might be interesting to people in the story. Uh, Kathy Kennedy notes that you know she brought John Favreau and Dave Filoni together to work on the Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. Filoni, as I said, he was the apprentice of George Lucas. He came on to work in animation, steeped in Star Wars lore, has ambitions to direct live action. She put them together, and Dave and John revealed to me. Well, one of the reasons she put them together is they both had ideas about Mandalorians. John Favreau had uh, this idea of like a lone gunslinger, the story we've seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a bounty hunter who pairs up with this child and has to figure out how to take care of it. And Filoni was interested in expanding upon the Clone Wars and the Mandalorian characters that he featured there who were, you know, part of the leadership royal family of Mandalore. And he, he hinted at and eventually they revealed some of the destruction of that planet that really scattered the mandalorians and made them rare in the galaxy they were Mm -hmm. a planet of people and where did they all go uh you know they're the victim of a of a of a galactic genocide it's the only word and a whole planet is basically exterminated Mm -hmm. and he wanted to explore like the leadership and the, the history of the mandalorian people almost like a royal i don't know well, like a six uh, again. This is me, not him, describing about. Yeah. Like, think of Succession, like the power players uh, of the Mandalorian okay. world, like okay. and how they interact. And I, uh, you know, we've we've seen uh, Katie Sackoff from Battlestar Galactica turn up as this character, Bo Katan, in uh, in the Mandalorian, mm-hmm. and that's one of the characters that Dave you know helped create and is really interested in, and her relationship to her family and the dark saber that is at the core of the Mandalorian that is like a royal object. Whoever holds that, like uh, they have to win it in battle. And it's sort of like, it's almost like winning the mantle of, of mm-hmm. leadership. Uh, think of like Black Panther and how Black Panther in the Marvel universe can be challenged. And if you yeah. defeat him, maybe you're the next black. Panther. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's an aspect to that that's woven into the Mandalorian. So I would expect that to come to fruition too, is we're going to see that dark saber. We're going to see probably more Mandalorians and, uh, I would uh, I would bet good money that Bo-Katan and Katie Sackhoff return, okay. uh, you know, and, and what exactly it means to be a Mandalorian and what becomes of those people. That's that's the trajectory of this show. I don't think I'm spoiling anything yeah. to say that that's where it's headed. And that's, you know, if they go off and it's just like a cooking show between Mando and Baby Yoda, I think that I would, would really- watch it. I'd I would watch still it. watch it, but that would be a that would be a sharp turn from where surprised. Well, that's, yeah.
1: that's what I've enjoyed about that show to, so much. Is like as someone who doesn't know a ton about Star Wars, the episodic nature of it and the way that it can kind of twist and turn and always return to that dynamic between the two of them. It really keeps me going with it. Um, Star and and I, and I never know what's going to happen next.
2: Star Wars has to keep it casual. Mm. Um, it has to keep inviting people like you into that world instead yeah. of closing it off. Sometimes, I think the gravity of the hardcore fans can be overwhelming. They want things to go super deep. They want this in Marvel too. It's not just star Wars. You know, there's all this theorizing every time a Marvel trailer comes out about what secret thing is going to be revealed. And it's like, uh, usually it's just the bad guy you expect. And there's a big fight at the end. (laughs)
0: Like they
2: very rarely deliver the mind blowing mind bending lore that some of the hardcore fans anticipate and speculate about and that's because most people would be lost if they did that you know i would be lost i'm here telling you about mandalorian history and and the dark saber but i'm trying to contextualize it in a way that you'll be able to follow
1: and if you introduce it in the context of a show if you lead me to it within the show that i'm watching then i'll go there but you can't the, the homework aspect of it is what you can't expect from people
2: you can't and i think Star Wars has to keep that casual, and the fans who want it to be like this deep, dark dive, this dense dive into uh, into lore that you can get in expanded universe things like books, sure, uh, or you can spend that time on it. They don't realize that the story has to keep moving. It has to be exciting. It has to be in the moment, not rehashing. Thousands of years of history. <laughs> you 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 can build in a little. Every story has a certain structure to it that allows you to 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 weigh some exposition on top. You know, I just did a Q and A with uh, the team that made Loki, and Michael Waldron, the head writer on Loki, said they created Miss Minutes, the little animated clock mm-hmm. on that oh, series, yeah. mm-hmm. just so they could explain some of the logic in a quick way. Yeah you know, yeah, and, and, you know
1: it, and loki so i probably follow marvel about as extensively as i do star wars where i watch a lot but i don't like catch up on the lore and i loved loki and i think exactly because they were successful in doing what you're talking about
2: so the fans that want they want they want to be they don't want to like they, they always sort of turn up their nose at fan service like little lines or references or things like that they like almost like those are cheap mm. they, but they want these deep introspective dives and like, I'm sorry, but you would lose the mainstream audience and you need the mainstream audience because somebody has got to pay for these. And these well, shows. And like,
1: you want your, you want your show to be for a lot of people. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, there are a lot of times like, you know, when Harry Styles shows up at the end of whichever Marvel he showed up at the end of, uh, and I had no clue who he was, but people were satisfied by it. I, I can accept like, all right, that's something I don't get, but I get that he's a scary guy and move on. Like there are ways to, to, mm-hmm. to loop it in there without losing people like
2: me. And- you know what marvel does that and i think there's actually a, i don't know this for sure nobody's ever articulated it to me but i think there's a strategy involved mm-hmm. let's dive into the books the comic books let's pull out a couple characters that mainstream people don't know harry styles is playing this character uh and you might not know who he is at the end but neither yeah. do the eternals right they're yeah, like yeah, who yeah. is this guy yeah. and It leads people to go, all right, I'm going to look that up. And it launches a thousand articles of Harry Styles' mystery cameo explained. Mm -hmm. And um, by the time he appears again, you're going to know who that character is, right? Or
1: even at the uh, the end of Loki, Jonathan Majors, who is an actor I've just adored forever, he shows up as... Uh, oh no, God! I used to know it's not Crawl. What is it? What's his thing? What's his Kang the Conqueror, Kang. But, he, uh, but he's
2: not. But the thing is, he's not Kang the Conqueror. Okay, well, he's, hang
1: on. Don't even don't even go that far with me. I had no clue who he was, but I was like, he's charismatic, he's interesting, he's powerful. I don't know what's going he, on, but I'm with it.
2: He's playing a guy who is a scientist who discovers the multiverse, and so he creates this sort of time lord. That's a, another loaded phrase from Doctor Who. Like <laughs> he he creates this sort of time regulation bureaucracy to yeah. prevent versions of himself from from becoming Take tyrants and, dis- yeah. and and waging war between the various dimensions. Yep. And so he kind of becomes the thing he's trying to prevent, like a kind of time tyrant. They yeah. kill him at the end. Spoiler alert. Sorry, yep. a little late there. And what he says is, well, you're going to be seeing me again.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and
2: so he's that version of the character is called He Who Remains, very spooky kind of Barry. title for him. What it implies, and we know that Jonathan Majors will be playing this character, Kang the Conqueror, who's just like a, a bad guy, a, a tyrant like a, yeah. who exists in the Marvel Universe. And basically, uh, you've killed me. Now all of me, all of the other me's in the other dimensions are going to run amok. And one mm-hmm. of those will be Kang the Conqueror.
1: Okay, and see, so, I'm learning something. So now
2: you know, and knowing's half the battle. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but But that's what Marvel does is they introduce these characters in little cameos and make you go, well, who is that Charlize Theron character? And by the time she shows up, we've done a lot of the heavy lifting of explaining it to people, you know?
1: Well, this actually leads great to talking about Ahsoka, which is the next show is coming in 2023 because she's somebody who, when she shows up in The Mandalorian, she shows up in season one, right? Near the end of season one? Okay, so she shows up and I'm like, "All right, this is someone who people know, but Rosario Dawson and the show itself, I think, in her really brief appearances, do a really good job of like establishing her as a competent Jedi, as someone who you want to follow through the world, as someone who has charisma all her own. So then I see that her show, you know, it'll be kind of a continuous story, I think is what they said, not standalones like the Mandalorian. And it'll follow on plots about her from the Clone Wars. But I feel like I already know her enough that I don't need to have that background to understand the show.
2: You don't, You you need, you picked up all of the things you need to know about Ahsoka. And if there's more you want to know, may I present seven, seven seasons of The Clone Wars <laughs> yeah. to you? And, and not only The Clone Wars, she then turns up as an important character in Rebels. So there are okay. multiple seasons of that, that that will tell you her full backstory. But it's kind of like meeting a person in, in real life. Like, like when you and I met for the first time, you don't know everything about me. Mm-hmm. And gradually over time, you learn this or that, and you know what you need to know. And then the more you become friends with somebody, the more you learn about who they are. And that I think is sort of the way you have to present characters is you can't have her pop up and have everybody go, Oh, right. Like there will be some people who know who she is and know her background, but otherwise you've got to have somebody like the Mandalorian. Who's like, well, who are you, (laughs) you know? And she kind of explains that. And I think that's a really good thing.
1: Yeah. So we don't know a ton about her show either. Uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, uh, uh, Lucasfilm will not confirm whether she's on it, but uh, her husband Ewan McGregor will. <laughs> in
2: your the, piece. she's on it. They were, I they mean, were like, they were like, well, I guess you've got that one. Like, you know, because <laughs> there's always a fight. Like, can we get a little more news in this story? Like re- uh-huh. reveals, and uh, everybody's very good about not teasing things. But Ewan McGregor was just like, yeah, you know, Mary's going to be on Ahsoka, which had been rumored. <laughs> Uh but yeah, I mean, look, Lucasfilm was like, okay, they're not denying it.
1: Well, but the and the same a similar thing with Hayden Christensen, where they wouldn't confirm that he's on it, but Rosario Dawson seemed to confirm that he's on it. Uh so that sounds thorny. Uh,
2: that's a little bit more vague. The story she told me was she read a trade report that said Hayden Christensen will be returning as Anakin Skywalker in the Ahsoka series. And it makes sense. He was her mentor, and I think she will be haunted by what happened to to Anakin Skywalker. So it would be in flashbacks that
1: he would appear on it, something like that.
2: But Yeah, but Vader is dead by the time we see her in Mandalorian, right? So it's not like Vader himself will be popping up unless Ahsoka is set before his death, right? Which is also a possibility, frankly.
1: We don't know when it's set.
2: We, We do have the implication. What Dave Filoni told me was, I'm continuing the story that we're introducing, like they're laying a little bit of foundation an exposition with her appearance in the Mandalorian and her appearance in book of Boba Fett. we know she's searching for this scary Imperial figure known as Thrawn Mm -hmm. who has a huge legacy in all those expanded universe books that I talked about. Uh Um, But otherwise you don't know who Thrawn is and you don't have to know. You need to know he's a scary Imperial guy and she's trying to find him. Now, if you watch the animated shows, you'll realize when he vanishes, He's kind of lost at sea. His starship gets uh, in a way that's too complicated to explain, gets blasted off into deep space, lost okay. at sea, lost in space. And with him goes the hero, the young hero of Rebels, a character named Ezra Bridger, who was a criminal, a little thief, a young child thief, street kid who rises up and becomes through the ranks to become like a rebel. One of the one of the original rebel leaders okay, or soldiers. And uh, early on at the start of the rebellion. So he vanishes along with this big bad guy. So when she says in the Mandalorian to the villain that she's fighting, I want to know where Thrawn is. Everybody who watched that was like, she's trying to find her friend Ezra. Like, why else would she be looking for Thrawn? Well, there are a million reasons she might be looking for Thrawn. But a good guess is she wants to track him down to find out what happened to the other guy who disappeared.
1: So she's continuing her story of where they where she was left at the end of Clone yeah, Wars. Yeah, and
2: Dave Filoni said, "We're you know, I'm uh, that's a hint of where this story is going. Her ep- her episodes will not just be uh, standalone little Ahsoka going through the galaxy like the A team, <laughs> visiting planet yeah. after planet, well, like helping the folks." Well, that's kind what
1: the Mandalorian is, but I don't think you can have all of the shows be that, right?
2: No, no, you can't. Yeah, you can have sort of this week's episode, but I think Ahsoka. Ahsoka already is just part of such a much larger narrative. And, you know, the end of Rebels featured her aged up and in a white costume, implying that she is somehow like elevated or changed. Like she's a changed person when we see her there, just a brief glimpse. And I think what the Ahsoka live action series will do is in some way uh, show us how she goes from the character of, of this sort of wandering Ronin we see in the Mandalorian to Mm. this sort of wise sort of almost otherworldly figure yeah still Uh, uh, still at that point though looking for Ezra
1: um well and like that kind of which
2: sounds like a 90s band
1: I know (laughs) but also like when you have the plot of like this powerful person who you know already Mm -hmm. is trying to find somebody like that is a quest narrative that you can jump into immediately even if you don't have
2: the background for for it and you don't need the background like you can figure Mm -hmm. out that background you can you can figure out why this ring has to be thrown into a volcano. As <laughs> I'll tell yeah. you on the way, right? Yeah. Like, that's yeah. kind of what it is.
1: Um, okay, let's do the last show. Well, I guess there's two shows. There's there's the Grammar Rodeo, which is the John Watts show that we yeah. really don't know much about at all. Um, probably like possibly an Amblin style Goonies-esque vibe, right? Yes,
2: that's what I I got officially from people at Lucasfilm. Uh, it stars some of its main characters are kids, but that doesn't mean they're the the solo leads there might be other adult characters but we know that there was a casting announcement for four children or young like tweenish age kids Mm -hmm. uh and the name grammar rodeo refers to an episode of the simpsons where bart and his pals uh illegally rent a car and go on a road trip to tennessee (laughs) (laughs) and uh and uh they tell their parents that they're going they they've uh that they have like an academic trip planned that they're going to the grammar rodeo. And <laughs> uh, and so what that w- with these these titles, you know, these code name titles are not meant to give things away but they kind of imply things like the t- the, the the code title for uh for the Avengers was Group Hug. <laughs> 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 so there's always something like a little bit ironic about them, you know. Sure. And I think okay. Now that we know that there are like a lot of kid characters in this, the, it's the idea of kids going uh, uh, going on an yeah, adventure, going on an adventure that, that's not sanctioned, right? That, that <laughs> yeah. maybe doesn't have uh, chaperones on it. I think yeah. that's my guess. And John Watts, who you know made the uh, uh, Spider-Man, the new Spider-Man films with Tom Holland, like he's good with young people. He's good, mm-hmm. got that those YA chops in a way. And he
1: walked away from a Marvel project, presumably to make this.
2: Uh, I guess they're kind of happening at the same time and maybe just Fantastic Four was too much for him. We don't really know why that didn't happen or what yeah. what, what went wrong, but people are always horse trading uh, on big, big titles. You know, the uh, guys who made Game of Thrones signed up to make a Star Wars trilogy. Then they signed a huge Netflix deal and they backed out of the Star Wars trilogy and Well, the thing Uh, that Kathy
1: Kennedy said in your piece is like, this is a four or five year commitment. Like, you're not doing something else while you
2: do this. Yeah. They don't want filmmakers coming in and saying, okay, I could spend two years in Star Wars land. She's like, Mm -hmm. you know, we want you to come in and like do some persistent storytelling. Yeah. You know, they felt like there was a little bit of zigzagging with the, uh, uh, between The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker, that's not to trash any filmmaker or any No, I would say vision. that was
1: pretty public. Z- I mean, switching filmmakers and back again, that is a zigzag.
2: Yeah. And I noted that, you know, The Last Jedi closed off some storylines. It killed Snoke. They resolved yeah. to a degree what who Rey's parents were. And like, uh, you know, that that was something. uh there wasn't a lot of like open space left after that. Like they had to come mm-hmm. up with some new stuff for the third installment of that series. And you can like what Ryan did and still acknowledge that that's true, right? That that kind yeah. of put a punctuation mark at the end of certain narratives that were begun in the force awakens. Now, um, you know, everybody likes to position it as the filmmakers who were at war with each other. I think it's more just like, this is the song I want to sing. This is a song you want to sing. I'm going to, You know, try and bring it back around, I guess. Yeah, Uh,
1: And and, and again, an argument for keeping people in the building for as long as you can to really have things uh, be consistent.
2: I I don't think anybody would disagree that it's better. You know, there's maybe just a little less narrative whiplash if you are if you have one person deciding this is where it goes. You know,
1: um, OK, let's end on the Acolyte, uh, which yeah. you mentioned earlier is the Leslie Hedlund show set 100 years before the Phantom Menace, um, kind of like a Roman Empire before the fall vibe. Like if everything in Star Wars is dirty, this is everything when it was first built and it was all shiny and new.
2: That's that's how what I asked her about. And what and I want to say, I, I really enjoy talking to everybody in that cover story. But Leslie Hedlund is a special person. She is super fun. Like <laughs> I the whole time I was talking to her, her dog and cat were kind of roaming around the background. And she was like, oh, yeah, these two know everything about Star Wars. They've said it on like a thousand <laughs> Zoom meetings. And I was like, I was just looking at this dog's eyes like, what do you know? If only you could, do- could talk or type and go on Reddit, you would just like. Unfortunately, that dog up. signed
1: an NDA. So yeah, he's this,
2: the fun. dog did sign an NDA, but the cat did not. The cat is a very good lawyer. <laughs> uh, but, but she was wonderful and super uh, crazy Star Wars fan. Like she has read all the EU stuff. But again, like somebody that you could talk to who she knows all of this stuff and she came into Star Wars through the role-playing games, which is where you're, you're really making up your own character and you're, you're contributing your own thoughts. And she said, the first writing I really did as a kid was making up Star Wars stories as part mm-hmm. of role-playing and imagining my character in different scenarios, which I think is really wonderful. Similar to the way I, I grew up, but I used action figures and made up my stories in the backyard. That's what's cool about star Wars is it gives kids the tools to, uh, it's like training wheels. We'll give you the characters. We'll give you some of the scenarios. Now you make up the adventure, you figure out where you want to go with it. And she's telling a story that's set a century before the Skywalker era. And -hmm. I would say, she said specifically like about a hundred years before the Phantom Menace. So before Obi Wan meets Anakin Skywalker, uh, as a as a as a young boy on Tatooine. This story takes place, and if you think about just how much changes in a hundred years in any society, uh, that's true of Star Wars too. Only in this case, they're more technologically advanced in the past, and there has been a decay. And so that made me bring up the Roman Empire, like it's yeah. just one example. I mean, there are many around the world and throughout history, but where you have like. A buildup of society and technological advancement. And there's education and there's health and well being and farming and all sorts of new things that are developed. And then sometimes there's a collapse. The Roman Empire yeah. fell. And look, that's not to say the Roman Empire was great. It was not great for I mean, it was an empire, and it was brutal. And so not um,
1: cancelist over the Roman Empire. We are aware. Not, not yeah, everything yeah. went well. We're
2: aware. Yeah, we're not defending the Roman Empire. Uh, <laughs> those guys can answer for it themselves. But like, but they, but you, you know, you can't argue with roads and aqueducts. And yep. and yet, after that, there's the fall of uh, the Roman Empire, and there's an era of barbarism. And uh, and then what we call the Dark Ages, and what some people say, well, maybe they weren't so dark, but but there was a time of just sort of uh, the pendulum swinging back toward less education, less development, less health. And um, she, so what she said is, it's actually not quite the Roman Empire, but she talks about this age, what's which is called the High Republic in the Star Wars universe. This is an age like the Renaissance, where suddenly again you emerge from those medieval times and there's art and and higher standards of living
0: mm-hmm. and
2: and you know the early kinds of science and medicine and so this is a you know a time of great advancement and prosperity but she also says it's not great for everyone and what's happening in the margins and she sees this as uh, laying the foundation for how could a society as powerful As the galactic government be undermined by this one dark side figure Mm -hmm. palpatine so what what was wrong with this golden era that led to this decay yeah and she says if you watch the sort of star wars movies and tv shows that are the primary focus of uh of the the on-screen storytelling everything's kind of beaten up and battered and and you know, reused and recycled is that these are people who, you know, they're going through the like an economic depression and and they're living through a fascist regime that's mm-hmm. that's not just uh, that's that's not very good at taking care of people. Like it, it, it's uh, not only is it torturing and destroying people, but it's also just sort of uh, uh, stifling innovation. And so you have a lot of like sort of like the Soviet era. Uh, automobiles you know where it's like you know it's like yeah it's horrible and it's oppressive but also nobody's doing their best work in any capacity so uh, everything's kind of run down and beaten up and there aren't many resources, and people have to smuggle to make a living so you know that's that's what's headed we know that's the, the the place uh we're going but the high republic is a time when the jedi are walking around in these gold and white uniforms like kind of above it all almost angelic but they're mm-hmm. not really getting into skirmishes. They're not really fighting for the 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 poor or needy. They're just sort of like existing. And they're a bit it sounds like they're a bit aloof to me. And so that's uh, that's the place where the acolyte is set.
1: I will add that Amanda Stenberg is rumored to be starring in it, but we don't know for sure. But otherwise we don't know a ton about it, which is intriguing.
2: Rumored and uh I would put I would put good money on that.
1: Uh yeah, I feel like Star Wars rumors don't get out that far without something behind them. Um, well,
2: you know, I think I, I think Star Wars Celebration is happening and uh uh-huh. something tells me that we're going to learn a lot more about who's in some of these shows and some of the secret things, uh, you know. Well, we'll find
1: it's out. It is exciting stuff to look forward to. Um I think I need to wrap us up. We have a lot of more Star Wars to talk about in the future. So will you come back soon and maybe Joanna's force Ghost too, to, uh, to guide me through uh, what comes next?
2: Definitely. We get Joanna saying pew, pew, pew. <laughs>
1: <laughs> At the very least, we can pew, edit it. Pew, pew, pew,
2: yeah, there, she is, there it there is. She
1: is. Um, uh, all right, I, Anthony. I hope uh, I didn't
2: lose you. Did I keep you? No, did I, do I'm you here. Feel ready to, like, I feel ready for is.
1: Obi-Wan and everything that's coming next. Um, and people should, if they somehow haven't read your story, you should read it and all of your other follow-up stories. It's really wonderful prep for all of this stuff. Um, anything else you want to plug before we let people go?
2: I'll be uh, I'm not sure when we're going to put this out, but I'll be at Star Wars Celebration, so you'll get a little more Star Wars from me. I think we call yeah. it the, this is the force feeding <laughs> of Star Wars on Vanity Fair, and I'm going to make a plea. Uh, this is like the the NPR pledge drive. Like I, I kept hearing from people, like oh, I wanted to read uh, I wanted to read your interview with Hayden and uh, and Ewan, but like I hit the paywall. What does it cost, Katie? To subscribe, subscribe to Vanity
1: Fair. Subscribe what, to Vanity Fair. It's like ten it's, bucks a year. It's, it's like like, nothing.
2: I, I think I, I subscribed back before I worked here for like a buck a month. I think it maybe it's like yeah. two bucks a month. Like you get tons of great stories and we're we're not gonna cover Star Wars less. We're gonna cover Marvel. Like if you're into all of this stuff, Vanity Fair, uh, we let our hair down. We can we 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 keep it classy and dignified, but we like uh pop culture and we're interested in Covering Hollywood, and these are the big things there. So if you if you like these Star Wars stories, you like Annie Leibovitz's photos, you love the Adam Lance Garcia video interviews with Ewan and Moses Ingram and Hayden Christensen, uh, you know, sign up. You, yep. you won't regret it, and then you yep. won't be hitting that paywall anymore and bouncing yep. off. And subscribe going to, to ra-
1: watching. Subscribe to Vanity Fair. Yeah, uh, we have you in good hands. Yeah.
2: Um, the layout is beautiful. You don't have to read this story as screenshots at some. Um, some angry person's twitter threat
1: (laughs) yes yes please don't um well subscribe to this podcast you can follow me on twitter not anthony i'm there at katie rich K A T E Y R I C H. Mm -hmm. and uh thank you anthony thank you to our producer dave gonzalez um thank you you know hopefully we'll be lucky enough to have more star wars to talk about on this podcast soon
2: may the force be with you